You're just gonna stay angry at God for the rest of your Whether it's popular or not, we're seeking out what pleases the Lord. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the UPC Later podcast. I'm your host, Aurora, and this week we have a brand new guest who I'm so excited for you guys to get to know. She has chosen to remain anonymous, but her story is incredible. Um, It's been such um, a privilege to get to know her, and I'm really excited for you guys to get to know her as well. Um, Before we get to the interview, I want to talk about something really quick. So last week, there um, is a preaching clip circulating of David K. Bernard, who is the general superintendent of the UPC. Um... So for those of you who don't know, like there's nobody higher in the organization than he is. And he's preaching. I didn't listen to the whole sermon, but what he was preaching about um, in the sermon clip was about heaven and hell and who's going and who's not. And the latter portion of his preaching that I listened to um, was talking about why people leave. And it's because they don't have a zeal for it and they don't have a love for it, for what it is. My assumption is the church, um, based on what he was saying, that it wasn't enough to just follow the steps of salvation, that you have to love it and you have to have a zeal for it. And if you don't, you'll leave and you'll find something else to distract you. And it was um, a couple of things. It reminded me that over the pulpit, they are instilling fear into people's lives, that if you leave, It's because you don't love it. You don't love the things of God that they are presenting in front of you enough. And that's why people choose to leave. And in turn, there's people who are in those pews who want to leave, don't want to stay, but are afraid of going to hell. So they are there, you know, I don't want to say against their will, but against what they want to do because they're afraid of hell based on what the UPC has presented to them. Also, it reminded me why this podcast started, because over the pulpit, they are telling our stories for us as to why we leave, and we are taking back the backslider, um, in air quotes, narrative. We're using our voices, and it's time for us to share why we actually leave, what actually happens within the organization, and why we choose to go. So we're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep putting the, you know, our foot on the gas and we're not going to let up. And I'm really thankful to uh, have you all here with me on this ride. So with that out of the way, let's get to our interview. Um, Let's go. Okay, so we are back with another guest who has chosen to remain anonymous. So welcome to UPC Later podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. So you are choosing to remain anonymous, which is totally cool. Um, But tell me a little bit about yourself, um, how you got started in the organization. Um, I was one of the lucky people who was born into the organization. So (laughs) I did not have a choice, Um, (laughs) which I feel like is most people. Um, Yeah, I grew up in it my whole life. I would say my family is pretty entrenched in it. Um, My grandfather was um, a leader within the organization, mostly before I was born, but he was like a 
I would say a prominent person within it for a portion of his life. Um, and then, um, yeah, it's, I grew up, my family, they play music. And so that was just kind of, all, I was always very engaged with the church at a very young age. And I, I do think you're right. I do think a lot of people who are in it or were in it um, are sort of born into it. Mm-hmm. Um, Most definitely. <laughs> yeah. So around what age, since you were born into it, did a red flag start to go off for you? You know, it, in hindsight, I want to say that it started a lot earlier than I realized at first, um, because okay. I think as a kid, very inquisitive and I would ask a lot of questions and um some like for instance some of my family I would say are more um traditional or old school in the sense that they kind of grew up believing that um like interracial relationships were sinful things like that okay and I remember being a little girl talking to someone in my family about this and my little kid brain was like uh, well what about a black horse and a white horse like is it is it not okay for them to be together because I was trying to understand this in my brain because it didn't seem right and they didn't really have a good response when I asked that question so I think it started when I was young but I didn't really start dismantling everything until I graduated high school and moved away to college Wow. Um, yeah. And I do feel like that, that um, mindset is, it's still very prevalent within the UPC um, and other organizations mm-hmm. of the and They're just quiet about it now. <laughs> marriages. Yeah. It's not as talked about, but it's definitely still there mm-hmm. um, within certain churches. So, so while you're growing up in the youth group, um, were you heavily involved during your time, like while you were in high school? Yeah, yeah, I would say that it was pretty much my whole identity. Like, I I had friends that didn't go to Pentecostal churches in high school, but pretty much everyone that I spent my time with and most of my time was dedicated to the church. Um, Also, because I sing, and so I was heavily involved in the worship team, and with that, you know, comes rehearsals, and they're just, you're just investing a lot more time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So when you graduated high school, what was the first thing um, that sort of made you think differently? Um, I started going to a church that was more, um, the standards were a little looser. And by standards, I mean that some of the women in the church um, cut their hair, or they would wear makeup or Um, the length of their sleeves wasn't as strict. And so, and this particular church kind of had a reputation for being that way. Um, But it was almost like I gravitated towards it because it seemed to me like they were more normal people. Yeah. And, and so when I went away to college, it was, I was by myself. I was 18 years old. Um, and I started doing a lot of digging in the Bible about hair <laughs> um, because my hair, it was like uh, almost to my knees. Wow. And I'd cut it, I'd cut it a couple times when I was like really, really little, but 
most of my life my hair was not cut and my hair is super thick and it was super long and and I honestly hated it Um, (laughs) because people would tell me like oh like your hair is so pretty or it just I felt like people were in a way were idolizing my hair that was the first thing that I started to into okay Um, and then I kind of slowly I like would trim my hair a little bit and then my hair over the years progressively got shorter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that that was, and I hid it from my family initially because I wasn't sure how they were going to react because my family is very much on the, like, like borderline, I would say apostolic. Yeah. Side. And how did they react with everything? Um, I think initially it was like, it was okay because I was still going to a Pentecostal church and I was still in that world, but they definitely were not okay with it. That's Um, for sure. Yeah. I can imagine, especially with the generations that go back in your family Mm -hmm. of being involved in the church. Yeah. Um, so once you start cutting your hair, um, did anybody, you know, so the church you're going to is pretty loose. You said with the standards, mm-hmm. um, how did that all go? Um, you know, I mean, it, it was fine. I, at the time, like it, it wasn't a big deal because most of the people in the church and, and in leadership cut their hair or dyed their hair. And so it was just a very normal thing. Um, But I do think that people like that I grew up with and other people, I feel it was one of those things where it was such a large church that they almost like couldn't say much about it, but everyone had their opinions. Yeah. And it was definitely like a church that people talked about and not Um, like in a positive way. (laughs) Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Like, and it's so weird that within different organizations, it's like, Oh, that specific church, they let their, their certain people do this. And it's, you know, it's like mm-hmm. no unity across the board. It's a lot of backbiting and gossip because some people don't look exactly like the other people or have like hold the same standards. Exactly. And I, and I feel like it's even more so that way when you are talented and you are offering something to the organization, they're yes. more likely, I, I feel, to turn a blind eye. And let certain things slide because you're, whether you're a very talented musician or singer or whatever it may be, like it, because you're offering them something, they're like, oh, okay, like, we'll just, we'll let this go. Right. They don't always address it. But it's very Um, wishy-washy. Yeah. (laughs) Like, they won't address it if they're getting something out of you. Yeah. So if, you know, you're going to this church where you said, you know, people feel normal, um, when did it stop feeling normal? Oh, <laughs> that's a, that, that, that's going to be a story. Um, so when I was in, we'll kind of backtrack a little bit. When I was in high school, I started dating someone um, and he was definitely a, one of the like cool guys in the um, the state that I lived in. He was a musician and um, and I thought like, oh, like that's who I want to be with. Like he, 
he's going to be a youth pastor or he's going to be somebody important within the organization. Yeah. And I desperately wanted to be a part of, of that group because I, the way that I kind of grew up, I wouldn't say that, um, it was a very complicated upbringing. And so I really wanted to feel a sense of normalcy and like I belonged to the like elite group within that, like my age group. And so he and I started dating um, my senior year of high school. And he was, I think a freshman in college or something um, at the time. And so we dated for about two years and then we got engaged and I would say the, the two years of us dating was, you know, I graduated high school. I moved for, um, for college, still within the same state. I just moved to a different area. And going to that church did allow me the freedom to kind of explore what I actually believed in. And okay. it, all, it all sort of started unraveling a little bit for me. And, um, there was a point, um, I believe he and I were engaged at this time and I was supposed to sing for this retreat and I had a solo for it. And at the very last minute during rehearsal, they changed the set list and I was no longer having this solo. And at the the time it didn't seem strange. I was just like, oh, okay. Like maybe the, the vibe has changed and they want to go a different way. So I was still allowed to sing, but I just didn't sing a solo. And that retreat ends. I get back to um, the town I lived in and I get a text message from um, the leader of the church's wife. And she calls me into her office. And I don't, I'm still at this point, I have no idea why. And so I go in and she sits me down and she's looking at her phone and looking at me and I'm very confused. And so finally she says, I'm sure you know why I've called you in here. (laughs) And I'm like, no, I I actually don't. (laughs) I I have no idea. And she tells me that um, she's found all of my nude photos. And at this point, I'm just like, even more confused because I'm like, my what? She's like, your nude photos. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh my gosh. And, and she shows me and, and what it was is at that point I was going to the gym a lot and I'd created a like fitness Instagram account. Um, and like, this was in, I want to say 2015. Um, so Instagram, I feel like at that time was not what it is today. Right. Um, And so I created this fitness account because I was in this fitness group and a lot of them had made accounts to document their progress. And I had made a mistake where I'd posted on that account at the retreat and used a hashtag and someone at the church found it and turned it into the pastors. Um, But these are not nude photos. No, no, they are not. They're just me like standing like upright in a bikini, not in any provocative way. I was, you know, I think in a couple of them I was flexing, but you couldn't see anything. Like I was, I was clothed. 
And I think there was like a picture of my back where I didn't have like anything on, but it was, it was of my back. Like you can't see anything. Like it's literally just my back. And, and so I'm sitting there and she's essentially how it felt to me when she was casting shame onto me for these pictures. And, and I was repeatedly telling her over and over again, like, those are not nude photos. And she kept saying, those are nude photos. And so we're, we're kind of going back and forth. And then she's, she's still scrolling on her phone. And she's just like, has just this very, like, disappointed look on her face. And she's just like, well, what, how would you feel if the bishop found these photos? And I'm just like, I, I honestly wouldn't care. And I would also be wondering why he would be looking at them. <laughs> yeah, like, that's and, always so confusing when it's like, you know, to put the, put it all on the person whose photos they are. But if somebody's looking. <laughs> right. Like, like are, that, are we not going to hold question. anybody else accountable in, in these situations? Exactly. And I think she was like using that as leverage and like trying to get me to feel remorse for it. And I just wouldn't because I didn't feel like I did anything wrong. And, and we were sitting there and I I don't remember, you know, the full entirety of the conversation, but I said at one point, like, well, while we're sitting here, I don't believe in any of the standards. (laughs) Yeah. And I just ripped the bandaid off and I don't think she was, expecting the conversation to go that way I think she was probably expecting me to like cry and I don't know have this like big emotional response and I didn't um and so it was at that point where um her husband the pastor came into the room and then they called in my fiance and we had this whole big conversation and basically it was decided at that point that since my ex-husband and I were not on the same page when it came to standards that we should postpone the wedding. And we both agreed. That's a really important thing. (laughs) Yeah. It's a very important thing that we are in alignment on these things. And, and I I wasn't really willing to budge. Wow. Wow is right. (laughs) Like, and it's so, it's, so ridiculous when it comes to marriage I'm like there's a lot of really important things um agreeing on a skirt length is not one of them Mm -mm. no it's not and um and so yeah we decided to postpone the wedding and I, I believe at that point we were probably like a month and a half or so away from the wedding and you're you're young at this point right uh yes I'm I'm 19 19 and engaged yeah, I'm 19. I'm engaged. I'm es- essentially going head to head with very prominent pastors. Right. You got a lot going on. I did. I did. Um, and I, and I think it's important to note that being married or engaged at 19 is just so common in that world. Yes, absolutely. And, and now, now that I'm 28 and I look back and I, see people that are 18 19 years old and I'm just like you have no business marrying anyone <laughs> right but it, it's like and I, and I get, get yeah no it is it's it's a pushed it's encouraged um and I think someone on a previous episode mentioned this but because like you can't you can't live together 
you can't or you're not supposed to have premarital sex like you are just in such a rush to get to to get to that point yeah and it's just very damaging and you just don't I I truly feel like you just don't know enough about yourself to make a decision like that right I I agree and let alone another person you're still discovering who you are right like I I graduated high school you know maybe a year or two before that I'd like I just have I'm fresh into life (laughs) yeah um and so yeah so we postponed the wedding and at this point I really started to freak out um and it was either or the way that I viewed it was either get married or leave everything that I've ever known was was how it felt right and at that point I started to spiral um, because I I got sat down from everything so I couldn't sing I couldn't participate in anything I could just be a member essentially and my fiance was heavily involved so he was still doing everything that he knew but I couldn't and, and so did that did that cause issues between oh, go the ahead, two sorry. Of you? No, no, did that cause issues between the two of you? Oh, most definitely. I in my my personality, I tend to be a lot more inward when I'm dealing with things and during that time I I don't I didn't really feel like I had a safe person where I could really go to and express all of the inner turmoil that I had going on. And I think that that made it a lot difficult, like a lot more difficult for me because I felt like I was expected to show up to church and pretend like everything was fine. But I also felt like everyone knew what happened and everyone was staring at me. And I also had no idea who turned in those photos at the time. Yeah. And, and so I have no idea what people are thinking about me. And I don't know who's seen these photos and I feel very exposed. Right. Because they do make an example once they find fault in somebody um, that, you know, it's, it's made known to the congregation. Cause like you said, they set you down from ministry and all the things you're involved in. And that's how people know that you've done wrong in their eyes. Yeah. And especially whenever I felt like it was something so, so trivial and it wasn't obviously my my intention to to post those photos to to gain like uh, the way they were p- perceiving it as like sexual attention like that's not that's not what i was trying to do and and so during that during that time um i was just very i was struggling in a very bad way and so i decided that maybe that maybe we should go through with the wedding and so my uh fiance at the time and I both agreed that we would go through with it and I thought that I could basically love him enough to to do these things to believe what they wanted me to believe and basically sacrifice who I was for this organization um and so that's what we did we got married 
And so, and that, that breaks my heart because I mean, like you're, you're so young at the time and to make such a hard decision of either walk away from everything you've known, like you said, or, or try and hope that, you know, loving somebody enough can fix all of the faults you see within what's going on at the organization and how you're being treated and what you believe internally. Mm -hmm. When I thought, and I knew at at the time, I was like, well, I love him. And maybe if I can do it for that reason, that will be enough. And like, cause I, I believe in, in him and I believe that I do love him. And so I think I was trying to rationalize it that way because then it didn't feel like I was sacrificing so much of myself, I think. Right. So you go through with the wedding. Um, how did that go? Um, whew, that was a very intense day um, because the, the time leading up to the wedding, I had mentioned that I was spiraling and I had made a lot of very careless decisions. Um, like I started seek and I, I don't even know if, if he knows that I did this or not, but I started um, secretly like going out and getting wasted and I would show up to church hungover. Nobody, I don't know that anyone knew. Um, and I would just like, stay out super late because I didn't want to be at home and just all of the things whenever you're 19 you don't have and at that point in my life like I'd been through a lot of other traumas and I just didn't know enough about my again about myself and how to cope with things in a healthy way and and so I was just like spiraling and and all of these things and there was a bunch of stuff that happened that I won't get into, but I, I told him everything that happened the day of our wedding. (laughs) Um, because I had, I had a panic attack. Um, I was supposed to go get my hair done for the wedding and I pulled into the parking lot of the hair salon and I just sat in my car and just straight up had a panic attack. And I called my mom and my sister who, who had no idea what was going on. Yeah. And they came and met me and I, I told them and my, my brother-in-law is a pastor and, and I love him. <laughs> and he, uh, my mom suggested that I go talk to him and like, maybe he could provide me with some wisdom on what to do. And he was very kind and very gracious to me when I, when I told him and he was like, well, I definitely think you need, you need to tell him before the wedding happens. Right. And so um, so I call him and we meet about halfway between where I lived and where the, the wedding was taking place. And I, and I told him everything. And I think I was expecting him to say that he didn't want to get married to me anymore. I think that's what I was hoping for. And he didn't, he didn't really have a ton of emotion. Like I, I, I think he might've cried because it was like seven or eight years ago. Um, but he just said he wanted to go through with it. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> wow. And this was all like a couple hours before the ceremony was happening. Wow. And yeah. Uh, so I, I laid it out, all, like laid all of that out on the table. He had a choice. And so we, we got married and 
we had, I think, one more conversation about what I told him on the way to our honeymoon. And then we really just never talked about it again. And how long were you married for? I believe it was like about 10 months. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because whenever, you... oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that when, when we got back um, from our honeymoon, that was whenever I really tried to be what they all wanted me to be. And then that very quickly unraveled. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, it's a lot of pressure to, to be was. something you're not and to try to be someone who you just, you know, at the end of the day, it's not who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, is it okay if I ask... Um, how the you know was it how the church treated you with your divorce um it's funny that you (laughs) so um the way that I kind of left things I don't oh sorry hold on my dog's barking that's okay um I don't know that I would I think I did I did what was best for me at the time but um whenever everything started to unravel and I simply just couldn't keep living that way. I told my husband that I wanted to leave. Um, And he told me, and this phrase has really stuck with me over the years and, um, and not in like a positive way. And I I don't want to talk ill of him because I know that he he was also going through, you know, the loss of someone that he wanted to be with for the rest of his life. So I don't fault him for saying this. And I don't think, you know, his intention was bad, but, but he told me that no one was ever going to love me the way that he did. And, and so we had that conversation. That's what he told me. And I think I told maybe like a couple of people that were in that, that were my friends that were in that church, what was happening. Um, and obviously I told my family and then I moved <laughs> across the country and I just left. I didn't tell his, I did, was not with him when he told his family or anybody else in the church. I just left because I, wow. I knew that I was not going to be able to heal in that environment. Right. And I didn't want to be around those people and I didn't want to be there for the aftermath. And so I left at 20 years old. <laughs> across the country. Across, literally across the country. I, I packed my car full of whatever would fit in it and I left. And I told him, I, I said, I didn't want anything. I just wanted my car um, and, you know, my some of my possessions and everything. He could have everything else. Wow. I mean, the courage that had to take to to finally make the decision to to do what was best for you um and to get out yeah it was and i i am very proud of my 20 year old self for absolutely for doing that um and a lot of people have said that it was very brave and i I think for me at the time it it didn't necessarily feel brave it just felt like this is what i had to do and this is what i'm going to do and i was committed to doing that for myself. And the reason why I picked the place where I moved was because there was a bunch of people that moved there that were ex-UPC. Okay. 
who had started um, a church there. And, and I was like, well, if there's one place where I should go, where people would understand what I've been through, it's there. And yeah. So you go there, um, a, a fresh start, but, but with people who you're familiar with. Yeah, I knew some of them because we were a part of a larger youth choir. And I knew, I didn't know them all very well, but we had crossed paths being members of that choir. And, and so, and I just knew, I was like, we've all, we all have this, this shared trauma. Yeah. And hopefully they'll be able to, to help me. Absolutely. And is that what you felt when you went that they were able to help you? Initially. Okay. Initially that is, that is what I felt because it was, it was all of the the good parts of Christianity, or at least that's what I thought at the time without the oppression of the, you know, the UPC way. Right. Um, And how long did you attend there for? I was there from 2019, or no, I'm sorry, 2016 to 2019. Okay. Um, So three years. And in that time there, you said initially it felt good. Um, When did it start seeming like, okay, this is not going to be for me? I think there, I think for a while, um, it was, I wanted to sing really bad and I really wanted to be on the worship team and it took a while for me to get invited to, to sing on it for some reason. I don't know why that's a, a thing, but, and I don't even know if it was intentional, but, um, but I definitely, it was still that same sense of wanting to belong and wanting to be included. And, and then it started to kind of unravel because I was dating someone new and um, he and I, there was like a point where we were like going to move in together. And the church that I was attending definitely gave off the vibe that, you know, they weren't as traditional or strict in that way okay and so we had been dating for a while we were going to move in together same kind of similar situation someone in the church found out about it told the pastors and then I then for some reason I again (laughs) I get brought into a conversation I don't know why the guy I was dating didn't get talked to but it was just me and they essentially tell me that, you know, if you want to move in with him, like, that's fine, but there will be consequences, as in you're getting sat down from everything. And I was supposed to lead this women's Bible study at the time, and they're like, well, you can't lead this Bible study if you're living with your boyfriend. And then they told us, like, obviously, we were, we were having premarital sex, and they were like, well, you need to stop doing that too. That's, I, I'm trying to find my words. Um, the fact that <laughs> these organizations and the similar organizations, they dangle 
your ministry and your desire and what makes you feel good, you know, to be included and to lead these things and to sing. They hold Mm -hmm. it in front of you and like, we can snatch this from you at any moment. Mm -hmm. If you don't do what we say to do. And I'm not even a, Hey, here's what the Bible says about these issues. And this is our stance on it. It's just, I don't like what you're doing. So if you don't stop it, Mm -hmm. I can take what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, I think they probably did bring up scripture uh, probably, um, but the thing to keep in mind is that b- the both of the pastors at that church were former UPC. And, and I feel like there was a lot of indoctrination still inside of them that they hadn't sorted through. Right. And it was, it was bleeding into the church. And, um, and I mean, they, they, are, they are good people. And I know that they were doing the best that they could at the time. And I don't even know that they really understand the impact that that had on me, but it, it also like led to like the demise of my relationship because me as a person, like I did a lot of, or or in the, in the years, like since leaving, like I've done a lot of exploration into my, into my sexuality and having a healthy relationship with sex, leaving the organization. And, and so I'm, I'm in this relationship and they're telling me I can't, connect with my partner in this way that has nothing to do with them. Right. Um, and so my boyfriend and I at the time stop having sex. We don't do that for like a year. And it was very hard on me because that I, I, I didn't realize like how much of like a connection point that that was for me. And and to, to just like have something and then to have it immediately taken away was, was very hard. And it's so you can still feel involved. And so you can still be mm-hmm. a part of this community and mm-hmm. in this group. Yeah. So I did, I did what I did with my ex-husband and just in a different way of me, wow. of me trying to change myself or conform to what they wanted so that I could belong. 